The thing about the book of Revelation is, the Revelation is uh, a book of patterns. And what ties uh, the book together is an awful lot of uh, the maths, uh, the numbers that you hear about, the number 12 is very... Uh, commonly associated with that passage. But through the book of Revelation, the number seven is very prominent, representing perfection, representing God. Uh, you have seven churches, seven seals, uh, which contain the scroll of destiny. You have seven trumpets, warring of God's justice, seven angels with seven bowls of judgment. So number seven is repeated and used quite a lot. And it's a picture of the unity of Christ's lordship over history and over the earth. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's about the victory of Jesus. And one of the other ways we can look at the book of Revelation is to see it split in two. The first half is chapters 1 to 12. They represent the conflict between the church and the world. And then the second half is like a heavenly battle, a spiritual struggle. Apostle Paul speaks of spiritual wickedness and high places. And we get real insight into that through uh, the second half of the book of Revelation. And the closing chapters, just preceding what Martin read to us, um, uh, read, read to us from, from chapter 21, just those preceding chapters to that show real darkness and real depth of evil. And Jesus is seen so gloriously set against that. So um, when Jesus comes in the gospel, he, he provokes Satan and he provokes a reaction from darkness. And so towards the end of Revelation, we have a reaction um, from uh, a dark city, a dragon, a beast, the harlot of Babylon, uh, full of lies. Well, all of these images appear and are destroyed. And then in chapter 20, Satan himself is destroyed. Now, the key thing about these pictures that we see, this dreamlike language in the book of Revelation, is not to follow the book of Revelation in a kind of chronological way uh, from start to finish. So much as a series of images of just one great battle which is going on all of the time. And with the victory of Jesus Christ that we celebrate on Easter Sunday, his death for our sin, his resurrection from the grave, we know that mission is taking place throughout the world. And the gospel is victorious and it cannot be stopped. And Satan, bound as he is, cannot stop the gospel um, you know, from being spread. God no longer deals with Israel as one tiny spot in the world. He deals with the whole world. And the gospel is free for all people everywhere to respond to. And the church of Jesus Christ are praying and participating and watching and waiting for Jesus to return. And we rejoice even as we suffer. We rejoice even as we suffer here. Just a few of us here, it doesn't matter. We're part of the worldwide mission of God. And we should be confident in that. And it's a privilege for me to be here with you today and to encourage you in that. Then I saw, says John, then I saw, chapter 21, a new heaven and a new earth. What a sight for sore eyes. John is imprisoned. He's aged. He's persecuted. It's probably sometime around the 80s, 90s um, for the early church. Uh, equally, uh, from the years following on from this passage, they are persecuted and chased and harassed by the Romans. For the believer today, as he or she faces incredible pain, as the believer is lied about or mistreated or having to deal with hassle at work or bullying or bereavement or some incurable disease or just the regular fiery darts to fly from Satan through the air all of the time, this is a vision for us. This is a vision to encourage us. 
in chapter 21. Now, what does John see? What do we see? Well, I've got three points. The first is this. We see a new security, uh, chapter 21, uh, verses 1 to 8. Now, let's, let's think about that opening section. Chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. Now, in that opening passage that Martin read to us, um, we see a mixture of images. We see uh, almost like a perfect creation, a perfect ver- version of the Garden of Eden. And we see a beautiful city. And it all represents communion with God. What I want you to think about here in this opening section, verses 1 to 8, is, is about God. Who is God? What does God do? How does he feel about us? Well, who is he? In verse 3, he is described as their God. That is to say, our God, the God of heaven, the God worshipped in the Old Testament, revealed through Jesus in the New Testament, is the God of the redeemed. He is our God with us. That is who God is in this passage. The dwelling place of God is with man. He's with us, okay? Now, what is he doing in this passage? Well, what he's doing here is he's preparing the church to be like a bride. Now, there's lots of different images in the Bible to describe God's relationship with his people, king and subjects, or shepherd and and flock. Uh, Here we have the image of um, marriage. Uh, This is an image which has been used before in the Song of Songs or in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I've done quite a few weddings in my time. did a wedding yesterday. And when you do a wedding, what happens is normally, not every time, but most times, the bride will turn up in her car outside the church or chapel. And the father will be with the bride. And he will be helping her getting her out of the car, and then he'll walk her up, up the aisle, won't he? Uh, that's, that's what happens at weddings. Here, God is the Father preparing the bride, that is the church, to be married to the groom. Who's the groom? It's Jesus. Jesus Christ. Okay? This is a rich, loving, deep image. And how does he feel? Well, he loves us. He loves us so. He loves us with a passion. And you know, it says in verse 4, he loves us so much, he's preparing this beautiful relationship with us, which is going to be so secure, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, or crying, or pain, and the former things have passed away. Again, I do a lot of weddings. I do a lot of funerals. I've done two funerals this week. I I did a a dreadful funeral the week before. And and there's such sadness and crying. And it hurts us so much when we lose our loved ones. Well, one day it's going to stop. There's going to be no more death. And there's going to be no more crying. And this will be the experience of the church. Because we will have unhindered fellowship with Jesus in a new creation. It will be not the experience of those who reject Jesus. Those who consciously live counter to his love and his law. And it says that in verses 78 of the passage. Now this is a guarantee. There will be no evil present in the new creation. There will be a permanent security and a permanent love for God's people. Now I don't know about you. If you go on holiday and um, you might go to the port or you might go to Donegal and you see a really nice house and you say, I want to live there. 
Uh, and <laughs> me and my wife do this all the time. You know, you, you drive around the, the north coast there, get some ice cream at Morelli's in Port Stewart, whatever, and you see you see these beautiful houses, you see them in Ballycastle there, and you go, oh, I love that house, I want to live in that house. Of course, you can't afford it, and you're never going to live there. But there's an image here in Revelation chapter 21 of a beautiful place where we will be loved eternally, and we will live there, and we will be saying, I want to be there. That's why we have the scriptures now to inspire us and to encourage us. So we will have such security in that place. There'll be no more death. We will be God's people. He will be with us, dwelling with us all of the time. Secondly, we see in this passage a new sense of worship, verses 9 through to uh, 27. Uh, Let me read a couple of verses. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city coming down out of heaven from God, the glory of God. And then this description of the beautiful jewels. And it had a great high wall with 12 gates and the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the Son of Israel. Uh, were inscribed, uh, verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of um, the Lamb. Now, what do we notice about the language here? Verse 9, very significant that one of the angels of wrath who came to bring the judgment of God also brings grace and love to the church. So God is both a God of justice and judgment and grace. He can't be one or the other, he's both. We see that at the cross, of course. And it says in verse 10 that John was in the spirit. Now, there are four other references in John's revelation to describe him being in the spirit. And he's lifted to a high vantage point. And what does he see from the high vantage point? He sees, verse 11, the glory of God. Now, the glory of God in Hebrew, his kabod, his weight, It's something that Moses couldn't see. Do you remember? Moses wanted to see the glory, but he had to hide behind the the crevice in the rock to light. He couldn't see God's face. Here we have a full revelation of the glory of God. And it's such a rich theme in the Old Testament, shown in John chapter 1 through the life of Jesus Christ. What does it say in John chapter 1? It says, we have seen his glory full of grace and truth when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, and we have a glimpse of the glory of God at the start of Revelation, Revelation chapter 4. But here we have the glory of God revealed to all the earth. And it's going to be an outstanding, worshipful experience. Verse 14 of that uh, section shows us there's, a, there's going to be a unity between the, the, the 12 tribes of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament. And then we have in the following verses a picture of a huge, beautiful, perfect city influenced by the picture that we have again in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 40. And I saw no temple in the city, says John, verse 22, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no more night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Isn't 
outstanding and encouraging. This is a fantastic picture of the diversity of the gospel. There's going to be all sorts of people there. People from Republican backgrounds. They're going to be with people from orange backgrounds. Black and white. Rich and poor. Amazingly, there will be people from Ukraine there and people from Russia there. Where conflict means nothing. They will be brought together and unified because they've had a a shared faith in the blood of the Lamb. This is the prospect. And it says that all of this will be affected by the light of the Lamb. Makes me think of Jesus who says, I am the light of the world. Again, 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Truth, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is a beautiful picture here of the light of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, promised in the Old Testament, given through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and held out as an incentive for us to keep going, because one day we will bask and worship in this beautiful place Uh, of heavenly glory. And we will do so with people from every race and tribe and nation and tongue. And again, this is given for us that we, small and humble though we are, keep going. Keep going in our walk with the Lord. How John must have been refreshed by this as he was imprisoned on on the island of Patmos and how we are to be um, encouraged by this word from the Lord. So it's such a sight for sore eyes. We have our security. There'll be no more death. We'll be loved with him forever. Uh, in verses 1 to 8. Our senses of worship will be ecstatic. We will have this light and glory of the Lord. In verses 9 to 27. And then finally we will taste the stream of refreshment. In chapter 22 verses 1 and you'll have guessed already, this is just a flying overview of this passage. We could go really, really deep into this passage, just even in one verse alone. There's so much here, but this is just a flying overview. Uh, we're going to taste a stream of refreshment. Now, this closing little image here at the start of chapter 22 is like a new Garden of Eden again, a new garden. And there's going to be refreshment and life which flow from the glory of God, as Jesus uh, promised. Remember, of course, when he encountered that woman. I think when I was here before, actually, I preached from John chapter 4, the woman at the well, one of the occasions I was here before, that woman of Samaria meets Jesus in the middle of the day and um, he, he approaches her and he says, give me a drink. And she begins to get in a dialogue with him about his identity and who he was and why he would be even speaking with her. And then he begins to reveal the fact that he is the Messiah. And he promises to give her water from the well, which will never run out. And it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. A picture of eternal refreshment. And so here we have this picture of water, of a a beautiful stream flowing through the middle uh, of of the new city, which we will dwell in. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever been hiking up in the hills of Donegal or uh, Slemish or somewhere like that. And uh, sometimes uh, you see a stream run and you think, I'm so thirsty. I, I, just, I just want to taste that. I want, I want some of that water. 
I remember once when I was at school, I did a cross-country um, Saturday morning. I went to school on Saturday morning, and they made us run around do cross-country when I was 11 years old. I hated it. It was never the shape for that. I remember it must have only been about a mile and a half or two miles, which I could probably do okay now with the dog. But, oh, when you're 11 years old, the thought of that was horrific. But I remember at the end of it just diving for the fountain uh, and the water fountain and slurp, slurp, slurp. And, and we, we will have that fresh water. And it's, it's going to do so much for us, and not just for us as individuals, but for the world, because it's going to irrigate a, f- a flourishing tree. So there's a tree in the city, just as there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in, uh, in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapters 1, 3 to 3. So there is a tree in the city, in this new city, in this new garden. And it's not going to bring condemnation as we touch it, but it's going to bring healing, healing for the nations. So all the consequences of our sin, all the guilt that we've experienced because of our past, or all the strife that we experience in the world today, that struggle for survival, the sickness, the viruses, the frustration of our creation, and the earthquakes, and the famines, and the sword that Scripture speaks of, all that sorrow, all that death will be gone in the new heaven and the new earth. We'll be healed of it. And it says in verse 4, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We will worship as priests, and we will reign as kings. That's the promise of Scripture. Now I wonder... If you're having a hard time. Uh, Joshua and I were driving on the way down. And uh, he, he said, do you want to listen to some music? And I was sort of thinking, I, I want to listen to some really calming spiritual music before I come and bring this word. But he stuck on his music, which is fine because Joshua's music taste is very, very good. And one of the songs was from The Killers, the, the American rock band. And one of the tracks, um, the title of the tracks um, the title of the track was When the Dreams Run Dry. When the Dreams Run Dry, I'll Be There Holding Your Hand. The guy sings, When the Dreams Run Dry. And I just thought, here's a dream which will not run dry. It will not run dry. That's why we have it today, to encourage you to keep going. And you know the beautiful thing about this? Is we have the bread and wine, which we do in remembrance of him, to keep us going. All right? And uh, we're going to do that now. Let me pray, and then we'll share in the bread and wine.